You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Welcome to this week's episode of Herd, your food, beverage, and hospitality podcast. Herd is hosted by me, Joe Hakeem, and I'm joined by Nick Britsky of Nick Drinks, Jason Leinert of the Detroit Optimist Society, and Vato of the Hungry Dudes. We are joined each episode by workers, leaders, and analysts of the hospitality industry. Please take a moment to subscribe to Herd on the Apple Podcast app, Google Podcast app, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or however you listen to your podcast. If you like or dislike what you hear, write a review. We love hearing from our listeners. You can visit Herd at HerdPodcast.com, follow Herd on Twitter and Instagram at Herd Podcast, and like Herd Podcast on Facebook. Thanks for listening, and now here's this week's episode of Herd. I'm sitting with Daniel Estrada, co-founder and CEO of 86 Repairs. 86 Repairs is a sponsor of this week's episode of Herd. You can learn more about 86 Repairs at 86repairs.com slash Herd. Daniel, what is 86 Repairs? Hey, Joe. Thanks for having me. Um, 86 Repairs manages the whole repair and maintenance process for restaurant groups. So essentially, we act like your in-house facilities manager for a fraction of the cost. And so our goal really is to help restaurant operators save time and money by managing the repair process end to end. So when something goes down in the restaurant, a customer can text, call, or email us, and we manage the whole process of getting it fixed. And this is a 24-7 service? It is. It's 24-7. So if it's Friday night, your walk-in goes down, your GM can have one number to call, um, we will help your staff troubleshoot the issue, try to avoid a service visit if we can. That's one way we save customers a lot of money. Um, so simple things that we can help them fix, manage on their own. If you do need a service company to come out, then we have a vetted network of service companies that we work with. Or we can work with our customers' preferred vendors if you have a relationship with a company that you like. And then we'll dispatch them. We'll manage all the communication. We'll track everything, make sure they come, make sure the issue gets resolved. And we track everything in a, in a software platform um, so we can give you better insights about running your restaurant. That's great. To learn more about 86 Repairs, once again, go to 86repairs.com slash herd. Hello, friends, and welcome to Herd, your food, beverage, and hospitality podcast. I am here tonight with uh, the front of house and back of house, Toasted Oak Grill and Market in Novi. I'm here with the executive chef, Ken Miller, and the restaurant manager, Jackie Phillips. Hello, you two. What's up? Hello. How are you? Doing great. Awesome. Thanks for being with me. Thanks for having us. This will be a fun little conversation. But let's start with the, uh, the stuff that's in front of me right here. So right now we're drinking... A Cabernet. We are. From South Australia we, by Penfolds. Talk about it. So Penfolds, one of our, our favorite wineries, you know, on the list at the at the market. Um, we're actually doing a Penfolds dinner on October 11th. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to come share some Penfolds with you. This is my steward's pick red, like on our buy the glass list. Um, it's Max's Cab. Uh, Max Schubert was the head winemaker at Penfolds um, in the early 50s. Um, he's the mastermind, the pioneer behind Penfolds Grange, which was their first take on like a Bordeaux style. 
he he basically went to Bordeaux, fell in love with the way that they make wine and like all the first gross and like the beautiful chateaus. He fell in love with the way that they made wine and wanted to make it himself in Australia. Um, so they dedicated this this Cabernet to him. He's passed, um, but he was a pioneer for Penfolds and really put them on the map as far as fine winemaking out of Australia. And so this is his dedication. This is his Cabernet. And I just think it's a delicious representation of Australian cab. It's juicy. It's spicy. It's sexy. I, I don't normally like Cabernet. Right on. Guys with you, but um, this is this is very good. Yeah. yeah. It, it, I think it's like the best of like both worlds, old world and new world. Like you get that nice jammy, like plummy spice, but you also get kind of that old world stank. And I think that that's what's a good, honestly, like I think. Old world stank. Old world stank. (laughs) You know it's old if it's stanky. No. So I think, I honestly just think it's the best of both worlds and it's really a hit at the restaurant. So So are you a trained sommelier? I am not a trained sommelier yet. Okay. I'm due to take my test. Um, early next year. Uh-huh. I was supposed to take it last year, but stuff happened. Anyway, okay. okay. I'm due to take it. I'm ready to take it. But I've just been drinking good wine and learning about good wine since I was uh, too young to drink wine. So <laughs> since she was two, <laughs> I know I was going to say two years old is a bit early yeah. to start. Um, so so well, you kind of is. did you avoid the like the Mad Dog phase or Boone's Farm or did you go down that path too? No, actually, I went like right to like Ron Bauer and like. The prisoner. I like, I know, I'm such a brat. Wow. I drank like really crappy like tequila and five o'clock vodka and I did all that. Uh-huh. Like I drank, I drank PBR, I drank Natty Ice, but <laughs> wine, no, I skipped Boone's Farm and went right to like Ron Bauer. Really? Oh yeah. That's, that's great. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So lucky, okay. lucky spoiled. So you said there was a dinner. When was the dinner again? Uh, Friday, October 11th. Friday, October 11th. It's going to be a six course meal. We're actually going to be serving that Penfold's Grange. Uh, which if you, I mean, it's on like wine spectators, like wines you must drink before you die. Like uh-huh. it's like a, it's a crazy good wine. So, and we're going to be serving that at the dinner. So it's, I mean, it's going to be a hell of an event. So speaking of wine spectator, while we're, while we're on that, let's talk about the, um, award you guys won. Yeah. So t- 2019. Um, what is the award? The wine program won. The Wine Spectator Award, is that what it's yeah, called? Yeah, so, okay. so the Wine Spectator, obviously huge magazine, Wine Spectator magazine, yeah. they do the Wine Spectator Restaurant Awards every year. And it's basically just being, you know, we had to apply. I sent in an application package, um, a press package, honestly, like three inches thick. I mean, it cost me a pretty penny to ship that thing to New York City. But I sent in an application package. We really fine-tuned our wine list, made sure that we were touching everything, and I, I really wanted to win this award. They have three tiers of awards based on how big your program is and how many offerings you have. We got tier one, which is great for, you know, Novi, Michigan, Oakland County, our first time around. We got the award of excellence, which is their first tier. And it's just recognizing us for having a really high quality, nice variety, like really good wine list. I have approximately 325 bottles on my list and about 2,500 bottles uh, in stock at all times. 2,500? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's impressive. Yeah, we've got a nice list. So, okay, so when you say you have 325 on your list, but 2,500 in stock. Yeah, like we keep everything stocked. Like, So that means that you have the 320, the 2,500 are built out of that 325 or the 2,500 separate? No, it's it's built out of that 325. We just keep everything. We have a beautiful like little market 
yep. area. So we display everything. We keep, you know, we have we have wine bottles everywhere. There's wine bottles stuck in every nook and cranny of front of house. So <laughs> now, does that wine spectator take into take food into account too, or is it strictly it's, wine? No, it, they do look at the menu. They want to see how well your menu pairs with what you're offering. They want to see like the variety on your menu in contrast to the variety of wines that you offer. I did have to send them a copy of the food menu as well. So Ken, what happened when when this was when the application process was happening was there any type of headbutting occurring when it's like jackie was like i really want to win this award don't fuck this up for me <laughs> <laughs> did you have to like respond to that or was was the menu already like no i mean in like, place originally she'd wanted to send the happy hour food menu and <laughs> <laughs> what? she's like i really think all these sliders pair really really well with this cabernet <laughs> but, wow no none, none of that happened actually um she and Ferris actually like just kind of took it and run with it mm-hmm. or ran with it. Sorry. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean like we kind of, we work so well together that I don't even need to like know about like what food items they picked to go on there. Yeah. It wasn't the full menu. It was like you guys picked a menu no, that we, paired well with the, or was it the actual menu? It was the actual, actual dinner, menu. dinner menu at that okay. time. Yeah. And honestly, like our menus are always so ever changing and evolving mm-hmm. that like, I mean, on a whim, like we we do pairings on the fly, so you know it's cool. Whatever that menu was, at the, so I, we applied the be- very beginning of this year, so it was probably our winter like 2018 menu, mm-hmm. and just everything falls into place. It was all good. So, how often do you change the menu, Ken? Um, well, kind of whenever we want to. Um, <laughs> okay, we will go through dry spells as far as um, like we'll just get a lot of stuff going on, and we won't really get around to it, and. A menu might not change at all, maybe a component or two for, I'd say, up to like two months, Uh you know. And it's especially through the colder season because, you know, there's just not that much of like awesome produce or very many things to really work with. But during the summer, um, our staff kind of hates us because we like to just say, oh, so tonight the fish is getting these things with it instead of this that I got yesterday. And tomorrow, just forget what we told you today. It's going to be different. Wow. Yeah, we don't do like hard menu flips per se. We just kind of let dishes evolve as we get new product, you know? Yeah, there's, I mean, there's a lot of, um, we call it like micro seasonality within Michigan. Like think of ramps, for uh-huh. instance, like they're uh-huh. only really around for like two weeks or we only get like Michigan asparagus for like five weeks. So during that time, I hope you really like asparagus because we're going to put it on everything. Um, it's going to be in soups. It's going to be with a fish. It's going to be with chicken. It's going to be everything. Um, but then after that five weeks, we really kind of don't even know what asparagus is for the rest of the year. Yeah. Um, and is, there, could, is there any preservation that happens during that? So do you take some asparagus, preserve it, and like throw it on a plate like in December? Um, well, so we actually took a bunch of white asparagus this year. Uh-huh. And we, we juiced it all. Okay. And we found that after salt preserving it and fermenting it a little bit, it actually kind of tastes a little bit like horseradish. Okay. Um, so we have that stored, and we've been using that to make our chicken sauces with um, ever since. I think the last time that we got white asparagus was May. Uh-huh. And we still have a little bit of it left. So, I mean, like, we'll use it all the way through. And then there's a few things that we have preserved that we're waiting until snow hits the ground before we're actually going to start cooking with it. Uh-huh. So... Mm. So then in terms of the way the menu is structured and for, for the guest experience, if, if you're changing the accompaniments every other night, is it just say like fish, 
meat and then with seasonal accompaniments or are there is there anything written out on the menu in terms of what someone might expect or is that up to the server sometimes i mean like most right now most of our dishes actually do have like menu description written and it is pretty composed yeah okay pretty composed there's a few things where we'll toss in just summer vegetables because it's generic Uh and we can kind of you know whatever's available from you know farmer scott down the road whatever um but I mean, other things are just like, well, we know we're going to have this one. We purchased about 200 pounds of unripened strawberries this year. We know that the dish that we're using these strawberries on is probably going to have them on there up until the winter comes because you get five strawberries on a dish, 100, 200 pounds. That goes for quite a while. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. So you guys are inside of the Baronet Hotel. Yep. Right. So you're a hotel restaurant um, per se. Yes. Uh, but but I, yeah. I think there's some um, – I mean Detroit uh, oddly has has pretty good – we have roast at the book like which is very good. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have uh, the foundation uh, with the apparatus room. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have some pretty awesome hotel restaurants. And I think the moniker of hotel restaurant outside of large, um, you know, like corporations, they're – they're pretty good in, mm-hmm. in some instances. Um, you guys have been around for 10 years. Uh, back from then to now, was there ever any struggle being that hotel restaurant? Was there an expectation set that you guys were like just blowing it out of the water and people were like unexpectedly like upset about that? Like all I want, all I want is some, all I want some scrambled eggs. Like is there anything, <laughs> any response like that? So, I mean, we try to do like a, a, a solid job of catering to everybody. Uh-huh. Um, like like our breakfast, like you you have to serve you know your your run of the mill like hotel breakfast to your bread and butter traveler, right? But we also know that we have a heavy we have heavy traffic of like European travelers, so we make sure that we put out fresh charcuterie and cheeses, and we and we try to cater to all of our guests from all over the world. We don't just want to put out a standard American scrambled egg and bacon breakfast. We want to put some variety out there, um, and. And I feel like we do a really good job of catering to our guests. We offer like your standards, like we have a filet and frites for that. You know, there's always that guy who just wants meat and potatoes and that's okay. And mm-hmm. we, and we'll do that and we'll do that well. But we also have a lot of composed dishes that mean a lot to us and, and, you know, showcase not only our property, our concept, our theme, but also Michigan. And you're traveling to the state of Michigan. So have some Michigan, you know? Right. So, right. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, um, <laughs> you you kind of said it better than I probably would have. Oh, you know, like I said, she's the extrovert. <laughs> okay, but and so in terms of the the you know composed dishes and the kind of ingenuity happening at your place right now, you guys also have a, a dry aged duck program that's occurring. And to my knowledge, um, there's not many places in the area doing a dry aged duck program. So kind of explain where, where the um, inspiration for that came from and who you're working with and how that all even is uh, conducted. Okay. So um spent several years in Chicago when I was a young cook. I actually moved out there for uh, culinary school. And one of the best experiences that I'd ever had, and I'd never even heard of a Peking duck before I had moved there. And a friend of mine from culinary school, we went, we drank way too much sake and we got the whole duck. They bring it out, they carve it table side, and then you get you know, all the tender cuts first and hoisin and all sorts of like the bow. Um, and then they take it back. They turn it into a few other things and it was awesome. Like I'd never really eaten duck before that. 
but I'd also never had duck with that crispy of skin ever mm-hmm. since then. So really the inspiration came from I want something that has that crispy skin. We'd been cooking duck at Toasted That you experience in Chicago. Right. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Um, wanted something like that, but, you know, we had tried doing duck at Toasted Oak a few different times, and we just never really nailed it. It was like, all right, well, it's on the menu, but I'm inside I hate it. <laughs> like, I hate myself. That's tough. Yeah. That's tough. Because, you know, we... Not no pun intended. The the way the duck was yeah, chew, oh. super duck. chewy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I I see you were there for the first menu. <laughs> um, but anyways, we uh, we started looking into um, you know dry aged beef is a big thing nowadays. I mm-hmm. mean, Fairway Packing does a great job with their dry age room, and you know we've been using a few pieces of their product for a little while, and it was randomly had the idea one day we like saw a few people you know, hanging some ducks and they said, oh, it's been, you know, hung for a week. And this is, you know, we saw people in like New York or San Francisco and like, I wonder, is 14 days too long? Could we go for two weeks? Could we just kind of let a duck rot for a little bit and see how it tastes? <laughs> and <laughs> only can. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> let that duck rot. Yeah. You I mean, it's, you probably said that too. <laughs> I, 100%. It's delicious rot. <laughs> like it's, it's awesome. Um, but anyways, like you have this dry aging room, so all the skin like gets really, really nice and tight and dry. And so when you roast it, it just gets super crispy and crackly. And then the the same way a dry aged piece of beef takes on that awesome like blue cheesy kind of flavor, uh-huh. the meat of the duck itself like takes on that flavor. So it's wonderful. Um, but then it wasn't interesting enough to just roast a rotted duck <laughs> wow you're really selling it hey now that it's out there that's what we're gonna call it well i think i think it's important to to pull back for a second here and talk about what goes into dry aging right yeah so um i don't know if anybody if everybody out there has kind of seen what a dry age steak looks like before it's caught but there is some i don't know if there's mold so much as like it's like a, a grayish dark skin that forms yeah right and so that that gets removed and then you're left with the the kind of beautiful pink color and the flavor is intensified because the moisture has left Mm -hmm. correct yeah and i mean like the outside skin of it like it kind of looks like gray and gnarled because Mm -hmm. it is drying Mm -hmm. i mean like that essentially is what jerky looks like right Mm -hmm. but there are live colonies of bacteria and molds and probably yeasts and things that produce enzymes that you know, kind of turn all the proteins into like amino acids and like you develop these wonderful savory flavors that way that you just really can't do any other way. Um, so, you know, it's super delicious. Like you get something you can't get any other way. Um, but it wasn't enough for these ducks. So we decided to smoke them for several hours and then rub them in barrel aged maple syrup. And then we covered them in salt. And so now it tastes like smoky, sweet duck bacon. So people love it. Yeah, what is what is the actual presentation look like when it hits when it hits the table? So we have just a portion where we serve the duck breast. Um, currently, we're serving it with uh, roasted corn, some chanterelle mushrooms, uh, roasted tomatoes, and the sauce is a little bit of fermented strawberry juice with more mushroom juice and then barrel aged maple syrup. So very simple because we want the duck to be approachable. Um, I. So I, I want – let's go back to that for a second. 
you just described something that had multiple elements and then you had would you say strawberry strawberry juice and there's nothing simple about that right like there's a a lot of composition that goes in there a lot of flavors playing with one another um i understand your your position is saying it's simple and that like there's the ingredients are very like here's what's in it and that's what's there um but how do you compose a dish like that and how how do you work back did you work backwards from dry duck or did dry duck or did you work backwards from somewhere else or how did that happen so when we were first developing the duck dish as a like as a whole, um, you know, we had we knew that maple syrup on the duck was amazing. So we started figuring out like the different preserve projects that we had going on and what really paired well with maple. And we found that for fermented mushroom juice and maple syrup is like one of the best. We put it on ice cream; it was so good. Mm-hmm. Um, really? Yeah, that's sweet and savory, man. What, what, where does fermented mushroom juice come from? By the way, just... um, honestly, we take mushrooms like we morels have actually been our favorite uh-huh. um and we weigh them out we add a little bit of salt to them and then we package them and we let them ferment at a controlled temperature for about five days it's like mushroom sauerkraut it's how you make sauerkraut with cabbage right it, essentially okay yeah. yeah i mean it's it's the same microbial process to make sauerkraut but okay. we're but it's done with morel mushrooms and okay. it comes out sweet and sour and very deeply umami and you wouldn't really put that with maple syrup in your mind but it's the most perfect pairing we've ever seen and that with this umami deep smoky sweet flavor of the duck it's we will never have the duck on this menu without the mushroom and the maple syrup together in some form fascinating so but the strawberry juice for that kind of comes into play when we need to brighten it up it's Mm -hmm. summer what do we have? Well, we have hundreds of pounds of strawberries that we've preserved. Let's see what the juice tastes like. And there we go. Wow. So then, then, then he's it, a it, mad scientist, dude. Like he's crazy. But, so. but it gets pushed to you too, because then you have to pair it, right? So yeah, and uh, and we we do a lot like with the cocktails, with the beverage, you know, to to play off of what he's doing back there. So what you're drinking right now, mm-hmm. that's that's a duck fat sidecar stop yeah so that is a sidecar hennessy cointreau lemon juice powdered sugar but instead of using like any egg white or anything to kind of get that creamy mouthfeel i'm using the the duck fat off of those dry aged you can't waste duck fat yeah it's basically gold so he gives it right to the bar they put it in little containers for me bring it right to the bar and that's one of our Classic cocktails, classic toasted oak cocktails uh-huh. with our spin on it, which is using dry-aged 14-day duck fit. So does, is this something where if someone orders a duck, do you do you guys present this as an option to pair with it? Or is there – I mean cocktails and food don't normally I – mean, no, no, but that's a wonderful idea. Right? No, that is a great <laughs> idea. We don't necessarily like say, hey, oh, you're having the duck. You should have the duck fat. Uh-huh. cocktail as well we we don't do that although that that is a great idea but what we want to present to our guests is the fact the the marriage you know between the bar and the kitchen between the front of house and back of house we will utilize each other's stuff you know and and we want to represent what he's doing in the back and the front so you you're not using the duck fat for frying at all like are, are you doing any duck fat potatoes or anything like that the, the classic in that sense i mean we we do confit a few things. Um, we've ever Poutine. since we started preserving um, and really kind of like everything that you know. It's like you had mentioned, like the mushroom sauerkraut. We'll use air quotes there, um, but sauerkraut is like t- 
tart. It's like bright. It's not very heavy, but it's powerful flavor, mm-hmm. right? So we've kind of taken that direction with developing the food concepts as well. And, you know, a year ago, we would have taken equal parts potato and butter and made, you know, pom puree la robochon. Right. And this year, we're trying to figure out, like, how can we get that same depth of flavor, but, like, just without weighing you down, without feeling like you're going to need a wheelbarrow to get back to your car. Um, so we, you know, we confit a few things mm-hmm. with the duck fat, but otherwise, we're trying to figure out different uses for it because it just, you know, too much grease or too much fat is just, it's delicious. Don't get me wrong. Um, it's just not the direction our food was going at the time. And, and I think that's a fun point to make because of your position as a hotel restaurant. Mm-hmm. I think the average traveler would expect the food to be heavy mm-hmm. and I would expect to be weighed. I would expect, you know, whipped potatoes and a filet at my hotel restaurant. Mm-hmm. If it was like a classic hotel restaurant in that sense. Yeah. Right. No, uh, yeah, totally. We, we did whipped potatoes and a filet last year. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Right. Yeah. And, um, and I'm probably fairly certain that it got ordered a good amount. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah um, but, but also there, there's a sense that when, when you want to do something different, that you want to challenge your guests a little bit. Yep. And I think a lot of times they're going to appreciate that because given your position in Novi, um, and I want to bring this up only in passing, but one of the recent articles written about you called you a mall restaurant, which I think, I mean, I, I did a double take at that point because I know for a fact that you guys are, while you're in the vicinity of a mall, mm-hmm. you're not anywhere connected to a mall. So you're not, if you were a mall restaurant, this would be a whole nother level we, of we craziness. We don't share you, a revolving door with the Cheesecake Factory. <laughs> <laughs> but you're close to a cheesecake factory. Mm, okay. But but what, what and the point there is that you don't have to do the stuff the cheesecake factory is doing. Right. Yeah. Because if someone's not if someone looks at your menu and says, "Oh, this is too much for me," then they can go there if they, they can. want to. They can. Right? But you don't want you don't necessarily want to salvage that customer necessary. I mean, there's nothing against that customer, but that they're not your customer, right? right. You're always going to get that guy. But uh, thankfully, like because of the Renaissance brand, the the Renaissance, you know, hotel brand is all about discovery and, you know, finding what's local and 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 discovering something new, literally. That's like our our brand. So, our travelers are kind of like groomed to know like they they kind of know a lot of people come down and they say, like, this is the craziest hotel restaurant I've ever been to. This is awesome. This is crazy. But a lot of other people come down and they just expect it. And it's just like another Tuesday night and I'll have that 14-day dry, you know, that duck. That sounds awesome. Like, So I don't know. It, I, I want to go back to the, the Renaissance brand, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so this is a nationwide brand? Yeah. It, Renaissance is a, a – a, a Marriott brand. A Marriott brand. Yeah. Okay. So, but the the every Renaissance, I don't want to say every, but but to your knowledge, they're all positioned. They have a a restaurant in them that is a little bit more challenging than your average. I don't know some. that. I don't know that all of them right, have it's, a restaurant, it's but if it did, if they do, I'm sure they try to hone in on like their their local offerings. Yeah. Yes, because that is part of the brand. Yeah, it's so. meant to be very localized. Like if. You know, let's just say you have the Renaissance in like France or whatever. Like, sure enough, you're more than likely going to have like Lyonnaise potatoes and like steaks basted in butter and like the most French food you can possibly think of. Whereas, like, if you were to have a similar hotel, same location, but just a different brand, like, it will probably be a little bit more progressive in that sense. Mm -hmm. But it's supposed to be like 
whatever you're eating, everything on the walls, like everything is supposed to say like, I am here. Mm-hmm. And to us kind of like all this preservation and everything that we do is like, well, we're in Michigan. How do you survive the winters in Michigan? You better stock up. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about this like on the walls concept because I think the de- de- decor in your guys' place is pretty interesting. Um, you guys have the chalkboards and all that stuff, mm-hmm. right? So how do you use that in, in favor of how this positions you as a much different hotel type of hotel restaurant? I mean, we tr- we the dining room, to me, it's super cozy. It's super comfortable. It's super approachable. We've got, you know, cool local like vintage-looking metal signs all over the walls and – um, just like a bunch of shout outs to like local places all over the walls and like farming stuff all over the walls. We have like these, these, uh, deer heads. They're like antlers, but they're all like really artsy fartsy all over the walls in our private dining room. We actually have some gorgeous woodwork in our private dining room that was made by one of our servers. Like that's how local we are. <laughs> she's a, she's a part time woodworker when she's not waiting tables. Awesome. And so we actually brought in some of her, her work to put in our private dining room. Like that's like that's how much we like care about keeping it local, you know. But like the, you know the dining room is 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 half booths, half moon booths that are super cozy. Like I see the two top in them and and I feel like I should be charging a room rate. They're so big, you know. <laughs> but they're super cozy. We have the fireplace. Everybody wants to sit at the fireplace even if it's in the middle of July. Like we try to be cozy but like upscale but just just comfortable, you uh-huh. know? Like we want to show that we're just we're just cozy. We were actually on a list of like Michigan's coziest dining rooms or something. Really? Yeah, like last summer or something. Uh, but it's totally true, and and, and we like it. We yeah. want the the market to be approachable. Uh, grab your own bottles of wine. Grab your own bottle of wine. Some people like to shop on a list. Some people like to look at the labels. Some people want to pick a wine strictly based on how the label looks. Okay, go in the market, pick your bottle. Uh-huh. You know, drag it to your own table. That's fine. You know, we just let people mosey, explore, kind of. And enjoy the ambiance. So, so explain how that works in terms of um, if someone wants to go into the market, buy a bottle of wine, bring it back to their table. That's definitely allowed, right? Yeah. So we're a little different, and we do we we're a little different in how we operate because we have a market. We can technically offer our wines at retail pricing. We don't have standard restaurant markup, which I'm able to pass great savings on to our our guests. The way we do it is all of the wines in the market are priced retail. If you grab a bottle and you bring it into the dining room and we open it tableside and you enjoy it tableside, we charge a, a super modest $7 corkage fee. And that's literally only because we already have super competitive pricing. You know, we buy it in bulk, we store it, we stock everything. And I mean, ultimately, we got to pay for the lights and pay dishwashers. So, mm-hmm. you know, even with our $7 corkage fee, I guarantee you, like, my price is still $10, $15, $20 cheaper than the place down the street. I guarantee it. Some people get a little thrown off by it because they don't understand it. But I feel like once I explain it to them like that, like, listen, you're going to – I promise you, you're still getting a great deal. Like, I can do retail. And we do discounts for people who buy six bottles or more, people who want to just buy from the case. And I have, like – we have a pretty loyal following of people who just want to come in and and get wine. And we love taking care of those people too. So Does that mean that your pricing on your – like your wine list that goes to the table is similarly priced. Yeah, really. Yeah, we we can we do some pretty nice glass pours for very competitive prices. Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah. So how does that play into and like even our sorry our wine spectator award even like shouts out that like 
we have a very reasonably priced list and like our value is great. So, and is that something that if you were to look at the wine spectator list, are, are there a lot of places like like toasted oak? No, if you compare my wine list, my prices compared to some of the places downtown, you'd be shocked. I sell bottles, same bottles like our place and a downtown place. Mine are fifty percent cheaper. Really? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, seven dollar corking fee, if you will. But I promise you, you're getting a great deal when you buy wine from us. So, and I and I want to like maybe not everyone's familiar with the corking fee, but corking fees can range. I mean, I've seen them as high as like thirty or forty dollars. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, because a lot of times they're used as a deterrent, right? Like yep. If, if, you, if a restaurant doesn't want someone to bring their own bottle in. Yeah, and I'm fi- we are totally cool with people bringing their own bottles in. If they want to bring in a special bottle to celebrate or what have you, we just ask that it not be represented on our list, which most of the time if someone's bringing in like a super special occasion bottle, it's not something I have on my list. It's been very, very rare that that's happened. But we, we're totally cool with that too, yeah. Do you have a vintage or like reserve list? Yeah, we have a captain's list. Yeah, we have a captain's list. Yeah, we have a okay. captain's list. It's our our unique and seller worthy wines. Yeah, yeah. So, so, what does that mean in terms of uh, is your pricing like on that list reflect retail pricing, or is that something where it's a little yep, bit still still retail? Really? Yeah, it's yeah, fascinating for sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean we 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 want we're all about spreading the love. Like we want people to drink good wine, and I'd rather you come get it from me. So right, yeah, right. let's. So we've been talking a lot about duck and meat and potatoes. Um, what about vegans and vegetarians? Actually, wine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Wine's vegan, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, unless you count the tears of the people that are making it. Um, so we we love to cater for, you know, vegans and vegetarians. And actually, we have one of our cooks is actually a vegan, and he has a YouTube channel where it's called Alternative Reality and he talks about vegan alternatives for things, and he's actually been a huge inspiration for the course of our food um, and the fact that we don't add butter to everything. We don't cook with meat-based stock and everything. Like, we don't feel that we need to put bacon in everything like, you know, maybe five years ago. Um, and actually, we like to do as much produce-based food as we possibly can. The main reason why we don't necessarily have, you know, more just plant-based foods going on in our restaurant is because, you know, the culture of our guest hasn't quite evolved to that point yet. Everybody wants to see like the chicken, the beef, the pork, like, you know, multiple beef dishes, honestly. But, um, you know, on our horizon, we definitely have more plant-based foods that are coming as well. And, you know, each one of our servers gets this little matrix of, um, you know, the allergies. allergy matrix. Yeah. The allergy matrix. Yeah. Actually, it was passed on to me by Keanu Reeves himself. <laughs> he was like, don't put peanuts on it, though. <laughs> um, and everything on there, like, outlines, you know, is there animal-based products in this whatsoever? And each menu that we do, more and more, there's, you know, just another little green box in the vegan center, or like another green box in the vegetarian one. Yeah. So oh, I, I want to. I'm sorry. I want to go back to this allergy matrix thing. So <laughs> e- e- each each one of your dishes, each one of your dishes is on it, represented yeah. on this. Yeah, and it tells you. So is it? The, I told the, you the, he's a psychopath. <laughs> I told you that. <laughs> the the eight. It's color coded red, green, eight and common, yellow. Eight common allergens or whatever it is. Yep. Not, ten eight, common, whatever it is now. 
eight yeah it's um it's like the eight common like I, the eight most common allergens plus what we just kind of feel you know we see most often so um on top of that like anything that might have booze in it you know just in case like there's a little kid and you know we've been cooking with wine in excessive amounts um or you know whatever it might be um there's alcohol like dietary restrictions there's um fish shellfish like everything everything you could possibly think of then like a little little tiny car that's really difficult to read because it's all bright (laughs) yellow and red (laughs) it's awesome though it's a great tool it really is it keeps the servers informed you know well right yeah i mean because allergies are more and more common absolutely and so you don't want to you don't want to risk the health or, or, you know, endanger the life of a guest. Yeah, and I mean the last thing you want to hear on a Saturday night dinner service is a server, you know, coming into the kitchen like, Chef, is there butter in this? <laughs> like every 30 <laughs> seconds. So yeah, we nipped that in the bud. Well, and I mean especially we have a few, a few regular guests that come in mm-hmm. that have a laundry list of restrictions on there. And, you know, we – we get new people in like behind the bar, like on the dining room floor, in the kitchen all the time. And it really helps us to keep those guests coming back and trusting us because everybody that we have like is fully aware of this list of things that they can or cannot eat. So, you know, we've had um, one of them has been coming here for years. And just in the last two years, we've actually altered our menus enough to where she can pick most of the menu at will. Yeah, and the entire kitchen line, all the guys have, like, learned. They know her ticket. They know her order. Yep, they know, our, like, they've memorized what she can have. It's great. Yeah, the kitchen knows our, our repeat um, guests that have any sort of restrictions like that by name. So ticket comes in. We say food for yeah, whoever this person's name is. I don't want to say <laughs> <laughs> But anyways, and then everybody, we just, you guys got that? Everybody yeah. shakes their head. Yes, chef. And food comes up i think it's great that you guys do this i think there's this kind of pervasive feeling in in the culinary world about like kind of demonizing Mm -hmm. those with allergies or even preferences to that in that regard and i'm not saying allergies or preferences but some people have preferences Mm -hmm. um i think that you guys look at it as more of i don't know if you want to call it a challenge or whatever but you you guys want to like really give these people a great experience Yeah, we don't want anyone to not eat at our restaurant because they're intimidated by the menu or they don't feel like they can find something to eat. Like, that's unacceptable to me. (laughs) You know, I don't know, at baseline, like, we'll figure it out. Yeah. And I mean, conceptually, just the way that we develop dishes or, you know, different long-term preservation projects, it's always within, you know, making sure that we don't branch out into like, oh, this has every, every allergen on that list. You know, like maybe maybe it makes sense to have all those things there. Like we just let a dish be. Um, but we try really hard to limit ourselves as far as, you know, what ingredients we're actually going to be able to use. And it's kind of liberating in a sense because it forces you to develop different techniques to like get the same flavor effects or the same texture effects using like completely different ingredients. So honestly, we kind of we kind of embrace the change. Yeah, they like the challenge. I told yeah. you they're crazy. <laughs> you got to be a little bit crazy to be in this industry, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so I'm drinking something else here. Yeah. And so wh- what am I drinking here? That is our other Toasted Oak Classic cocktail. That's our Toasted Oak Old Fashioned, and that's been a staple on our menu for ever. 
Um, and then we changed it. But Yeah, we just changed it. So, <laughs> But we changed it for the good. So forever it's always been whiskey and Amaro because we don't believe in putting simple syrup in an old-fashioned or a sugar cube in an old-fashioned. That's just way too boring, right? Mm-hmm. So we do our Maker's Mark Private Select, which is our hand-picked barrel of Maker's Mark. Uh, we do Cardamaro, which is awesome. It's a wine-based spirit, Amaro. It okay. gives it its sweetness, but it also gives it a little bit of caramely, just like robust yumminess. So mm-hmm. you're not adding just straight sugar. Um, obviously, a little bit of bitters, a fresh orange. And we used to use – we were on the bandwagon for a very long time. We were always using the Luxardo cherries or mm-hmm. the Amarena cherries, those really nice, syrupy, delicious cherries that everybody loves. But we decided to say screw those this time around because <laughs> Chef got, I think, like eight we get, billion. We get ten, yeah, we got 10 <laughs> cases of 10 uh, billion the cases City of Traverse City cherries. Cherry, sour cherries, and he uh, lacto fermented them. Yeah, every. I actually brought yeah. just cherries for you, too. Yeah, but oh. uh, about 100 pounds of those cherries, we just wanted to see what would happen. Honestly, like we. We kind of rolled the dice with a few different projects, and the cherries was, all right, 100 pounds. We're just going to salt all of them and <laughs> see how they taste. And on day four, it was honestly one of the most incredible They're things like, I'd ever tasted. Yeah. Uh, that, that's that's something I can't even place. Yeah. It takes a minute. The, it's good. but like, Yeah. And I'll tell you, like, we we're trying to figure out how to harness them or, like, you know, m- make sure that they're as perfect as when we get them on day four throughout the rest of the year so we can continue using them on these cocktails because day four, like part of the fermentation process, they get a little bit of effervescence from the carbon dioxide that's produced. And I mean, you can taste, there's a little bit of salinity in them. Mm -hmm. So they're salty, they're sweet, they're fruity. They developed this like overripe banana flavor to them. And it was just this complete sensory experience with a piece of fruit that we grow in the Northern mitt. And it was just wonderful with a little bit of bourbon. Yeah, that, I mean, this is something that uh, I would never even have imagined. Um, yeah, I mean, I figure yeah. every every bar is doing, you know, Amaranias or the Luxardos or the Maraschinos, and we're doing a lecto-fermented Traverse City Cherry because we're, we're toasted oak. Why not? And I don't know. That's just another just example of the marriage between the bar and the kitchen, taking something that they've – you know, made a project out of and, and utilizing it in the front of house and showing it to people, you know. that That's really, really amazing. Yeah. Um, okay, so you guys have another event coming up uh, a little later this month at Frame. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, this is an event called Forge and Feast, and it will be benefit- benefiting WDET, mm-hmm. and it will be in support of Andalisi's Essential Cooking Series. Um talk about it what, what, what are you guys doing there so we're gonna take a group of people out we're gonna find some sticks and then we're gonna eat those sticks cool <laughs> yep that's it all right next segment <laughs> so um we've in developing like the toasted oak cuisine and like we've been you know really going forward with preservation and finding out all of like what local farmers are producing and um you know as a as a child, I grew up like going through the gardens and like through the woods with my grandparents and like, you know, my grandfather gave me some, you know, very basic identification skills as a young boy. Like we were out in the woods and he was like, that's, that's part of the mint. Ivy. <laughs> that's part of the mint family. How do you know that? Well, 
you know, generally speaking, this isn't true for everything. Don't quote me on this. Um, but generally speaking, you know, square stem, the alternating mirroring leaves, they have lightly serrated edges and usually very fragrant, regardless if it smells like mint or not. Um, and there are very few poisonous lookalikes. So from, you know, about the time I was 10 years old, I could go out in the woods and tell you, you know, what was mint, what was Queen Anne's lace, what was a few different things. And, you know, it wasn't until in the last two years that I really realized that this, I had to delve into who I am, you know, from like my family's point of view and bring it together with the food that we're doing at Toasted Oak for this dinner to make sense. Um, you know, there isn't a huge foraging culture in Michigan. Everybody knows they, I can guarantee, you know, five people yourself that go out and say, I looked for morels and I didn't find anything. Mm-hmm. So our main goal we're going to take a small group of people out in the morning and we're going to just show them very basic things. We're not going to pick you berries and eat them because we don't want people to be that overly confident that they Wait, you, you weren't kidding about that. You are going to take people yeah. out? Yes. Oh, I thought yeah. that was just a... a, a so a, No, it's a two-part <laughs> event. It's the yeah. going foraging and then having the feast. And you don't have to do both. And you don't... You can do one uh, or the other. But it's a two-part event, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I'm going to interrupt. Go ahead. No, <laughs> by all means. Basically, um, the first part of the event, like we're just going to throw on some hiking boots and some extra heavy layers of DEET because bugs suck this year. <laughs> and we're going to go out and we're just going to see what we can see. We're not We're not promising. Where? where? Um, we haven't entirely decided yet. It's okay. going to be It's going to be one of the state parks um, just because we don't want to trespass on anybody's public property <laughs> again. Uh, again. <laughs> um. But anyways, like, you know, there's there's a few stipulations with foraging, like, on public land. You can take mushrooms and berries and nuts and fruits of things. Um, and, you know, we may, if we find them, we'll point out some different invasive species. And, you know, the DNR loves when people rip those out, especially by the root. Um, but then we'll also point out some things that are very poisonous and things that you need to watch out for if you ever decide to take this up as a hobby or if you just enjoy going out for a walk. Because, you know, I... I even didn't know until like a year or two ago that there are things that will kill you if you ingest them. Yeah. Like you can walk outside right now and probably find something. Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. Huh. Crazy stuff. I mean, he's the guy though that like I'll text if I'm like, hey, Kenny, my dog is eating something weird. What is this? I'll be like, oh, he's good. You're fine. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Actually, um, we we found a little bit of poison hemlock that was growing in our yard um, earlier this summer. And, like, the dog wasn't interested in it until I had let it get big enough to, like, you know, really kind of pull it out by the root. And then as soon as I went to grab it, she, like, went to bite one of the flowers on it. And I pushed her out of the way and kind of no called the, for you. Kind of called the animal poison center and was like, hmm. Should I be worried? Like, it didn't really get in her mouth. It was just, like, really near it. I was panicking just because, you know, it's your dog. It's your baby. But, dad. Yeah, dad, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but, that, I mean, that's something that would have, if ingested, would have killed the dog. Yeah, if if she'd ingested enough of it, it can definitely lead up to seizures, heart failure, um, collapse of breathing, like, and then ultimately death. And this is something that is fairly commonly like outdoors, yeah, it it can it can be pretty prolific in certain areas. Like you okay. can definitely stumble onto a huge patch of it, and you should just back away because 
you know, sometimes even touching these things will give you skin burns really? just because of the oils. Yep. Yeah. Dude, if you're ever unsure of like a weird plant by your house, just text Ken. <laughs> He'll tell you exactly what it is, what it does, like yeah, who and, it kills. And if I can't, if I can't identify it from like a text message picture, I'll come out to your house. I'll taste it. And if I don't die, we'll know what it is. <laughs> Yikes. Not accurate. <laughs> I, I just – I'm um, kind of astounded by that because – as I'm walking anywhere, right, and I'll notice something, I won't think anything's weird per se. I'll just mm-hmm. think, oh, that's something that I've never seen before. Um, I would never think to – first of all, I would never think to eat it. Mm-hmm. Throw that out there. I'm not going to just be walking around and say, oh, that looks really delicious because that's not usually <laughs> yeah. the case. Um, but but even if something looked appetizing, mm-hmm. um, 90, 999 times out of 1,000, I would not even – Think twice about like I would not pick it up and put it in my mouth. Like it's not yeah. something that right. Um, dogs are obviously are different, yeah, altogether. But you know, in terms of taking a group out I- into the wild and, mm-hmm. and foraging, which I pre- you know the name's forage and feast. I understand that. Um, how how do you get someone over that hump? Well, the biggest thing is just to we want to get people more in tuned with nature. Like we're not necessarily like the whole going out into the woods and like the foraging aspect is if we do find something, which is the very nature of foraging is like you don't necessarily know if you're going to find something or not unless you have a spot for something. Um, we just want people to love going out into the woods and like being free and like having all your technology turned off and like there's no music. You just hear the sound of the trees rustling and the birds and. Um, very deep, Ken. Very deep. <laughs> and then, you know, we just kind of talk about like, hey, and like this this plant here has been used medicinally and like this actually has a wonderful smell to it. But at the same time, like if you have never gone out here before, don't go and do this on your own. Like keep texting me. We'll go out. I love going out in the woods with people. Um, But we want to get people interested and we want to help to develop this foraging culture. But we don't want to give people like the confidence that like, hey, I took one class or I went on one trip. I'm going to make dinner tonight. You know what I mean? That's not our aim with it. Right. Huh. That's so, not our aim with the frame. <laughs> <laughs> Yikes. So, but, uh, and, and because you're at Frame and Hazel Park, you're not going to be foraging around Hazel Park, right? Like you're, you're going to – you're going to go off site – Yep. To a to a park, you said. Yep. Now, is that going to be close to Hazel? Like, are you guys? Meeting, yeah. There's like, there's a couple there's a couple parks that we have in mind right now. It's okay. Like, it's going to be like at most a thirty minute drive. Okay. Um, but you know, relatively close to where the dinner is going to be taking place. Okay. And you said that you can get you can buy tickets to both or to yeah. either or to mm-hmm. either yeah. So they're they're technically separate events. So okay. All the tickets are done through Frame, so you go to their website. I think it's frame.com or something. Frame yeah. Hazel, Hazel Park. Park. Frame yeah, Hazel Park. Frame Hazel Park. Um, and you just like go to events, tickets, and you scroll down, and they're actually listed as two separate events, the foraging and the fees. So you can book one or the other, or you can book both together. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, okay, so uh, you guys are also – you guys opened 2010. You're coming up on your 10-year anniversary. Yeah. Um, one thing I like to, to ask places that have been open for a while is y- your menu is forever changing, but there has to be items on your menu that have been around since day one, uh, even though you're not you haven't been you've been the chef since day one. Yeah. What, what what's on your menu that's still that, that has not moved, or or are there is there an item that you tried to move 
and you felt the wrath of your customers so hard that you had to bring it back. Oh, Cornbread yeah. Gate 2018. <laughs> yeah, we made a lot of people really mad. Um, Cornbread Gate. Well, I mean, so we we look at everything that has been you know standby as part of like we we definitely do want to make everything ours eventually. We want to keep doing what we're doing, developing our you know our current concept. I would say because we are very different than what we started as. Mm-hmm. And once we fully have our guest trust, then we will start to take those old time staples and maybe start to tweak them to be a little bit newer, mm-hmm. not completely change, but. But people are obsessed with our cornbread, man. So we we the cornbread. Everybody loves the cornbread. They want that cornbread that whips salted butter. We tried to take it off the menu, and not to be like mean about it, but we just tried. You know, let's do a different bread service. Like, let's just try a different bread. Now, wait. No. When you say bread service, was it is that something you order off the menu, or is it something that's complimentary? Like, how does it? We tried it a couple different ways. We okay. tried like a a really really quality bread and butter, just like bread and butter, like an like an appetizer, like a uh-huh. share bowl. We tried doing it complimentary. Right now, our cor- our cornbread is complimentary. So, uh, okay. I mean, it's. It is kind of tough going from something that's complimentary to something that you expect people to pay for. Right. But it was a different product. It was like, you know, we're going a different angle. We, we were just trying a different angle. It did not go well. People were very upset about us taking away the cornbread. Yeah. So we put it back on, but we, we do it a little bit differently. But the, the recipe is basically the same. Um, but, man, people love that cornbread. <laughs> Why do you think that is? I mean, it is it's, delicious. It's sweet. It's rich. It's warm. It's, it's cake. you know every everybody. It's cake. It's cake. People <laughs> like to have cake before they order a yeah. nice meal. Yeah. So I mean, we'll start with the cake. <laughs> right. I mean, we we actually used to have people that would just come in and say, "I'll just have cornbread." Yeah. Water. And we we I think we've kind of weeded those people out yeah, by we now. Did. I'll just have that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's all they like. Would come I just in want for? like four loaves of cornbread. And yeah. like a, a ice water. Like, so okay. secretly taking it off and replacing it with a sourdough was our way to say, you people don't need to like come back and only eat cornbread from now on. You people. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. so you guys have a sourdough you make in house? Uh, or you did? Actually. We, oh, okay. as, as much as we would love to, um, we did not inherit a kitchen or a restaurant that was outfitted to produce very nicely made breads. Oh, okay. Um, so we do use Zingerman's products. Oh. Uh, we get them delivered fresh daily or every other day, mm-hmm. um, depending on you know how much bread we're going through. Uh-huh. Yeah, as much as much as I would love to, uh, we just don't have the oven space at the moment. But you guys do have a you guys have an in-house charcuterie program, right? Um, we don't make the charcuterie ourselves. Oh, okay. No. Well, we make we make sausages ourselves. Sausages, okay. We make like our breakfast sausage. We make like our hunter sausage. We make we the make liver pate. We'll make kielbasa. other like terrines and things. Yeah. But like long term, like dry aging, like charcuterie items, we don't make salamis and stuff like that. Yeah. And but, honestly, don't really have any plans to. <laughs> that, that's a huge undertaking with the health department and the HACCP plans and all of that. That's yeah. A, the, yeah. Yeah. You're not I mean, outfitted for it. It's not easy. Yeah, and I mean, like, the the whole direction of preservation that we're going, it would make sense that we would decide to start doing that with, you know, meat items because, uh-huh. you know, it's just the logical conclusion of that thought. But um, now that we've become more plant-based, that um, we don't actually uh, – I lost my train of thought. <laughs> there's I, a spider that just – Yeah, there's a spider <laughs> and I got, <laughs> I got super sidetracked. It's right here. 
it's on the it's on the table. It just came down from the ceiling, and now it's on the table. This is a has never happened. Spider. It's taken a hundred hundred plus episodes for a spider to um, navigate down to the uh, well, d- nice. down from the ceiling here. We feel blessed, cute. <laughs> well, at least it's by you. Yeah, um, yeah. I have no fear. I, I, I have some fear, but no, no fear of spiders. Um, and I don't think that's going to be very dangerous. That doesn't look like it would hurt a fly, even. He looks. He looks <laughs> nice. Oh, he just wants my wine. It's fine. Okay, he's fine. I'm not even going to lie. I'm about to run out of the room. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> the guy that the guy that eats things off off the ground is scared of the spider. Come yeah. On. No. <laughs> Secretly, that's my excuse to run to the bathroom. <laughs> oh, um, but yeah, no, I mean, like, just this whole direction of being more plant focused, not necessarily plant based, but plant focused, has kind of led us down the direction of we would much more put our energy and resources towards preserving produce at its peak and, you know, letting that shine through the cold seasons and. You know, not really – like there's plenty of people that are doing some awesome charcuterie projects mm-hmm. um, and that's not something that we need to necessarily dabble in ourselves. Yeah. And we show love to some really cool vendors that make really bomb-ass products. So, uh-huh. Yeah. So in terms of um, – go back to let's go back to the beginning with the wine dinner and stuff mm-hmm. like that. How often do you guys do wine dinners? So this year, like we made it a goal to do one at least every couple months. So this will be our fourth of the year. Um yeah, so every couple months. Do you have another one planned after? Yeah, the so after the Penfolds one, we're actually going to do one in November. I believe the date's November twentieth. We're going to do a Justin dinner. Yeah, with a master sommelier. Okay, so that'll be fun. So Justin is a wine label too. Yeah, Justin out of Paso Robles, California. They make uh-huh. Justin Cab, uh, Isosceles, Justification. They have a Genesee Croix line where they make a really nice uh, Provence style rosé and a Sauvignon Blanc. Um, really popular label. We, um, a lot of, a lot of people seem to really enjoy Justin. I've actually wanted to do a dinner with that label for quite a while. So I'm kind of excited that they're coming in November and then we won't have an actual rep from Justin to do the dinner, but we are going to have a master sommelier in house, which is cool. Cause you very rarely do get to meet like a master. One of the local ones from around the area or is it someone else? Who, do you know um, who it's going to be? I'm not quite sure. Um, I don't know if he's local though. I think he's tra- like traveling or like coming into town. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So it'll be pretty cool though. Those, those guys are geniuses. They're wine geniuses. Picking their brains, listening to them talk is like, it's incredible. So I have this, um, this might sound crazy or whatever, but you, since you guys are a hotel, in a hotel, mm-hmm. you, you're obviously open for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Yep. Are there, aside from mimosas, is there like a, a wine pairing that you, provide with breakfast or lunch like do people pair wines with breakfast not 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 typically they don't i mean we do get people who come down early and and like want to drink and and that's cool because they could be on like a totally different like time zone right in their head which is which is awesome um so with that said, is the full menu available all day? All the or time. It- the full beverage menu is available all the time. And what about food? Is there time frames for food? Yeah, we have okay. different meal periods for food. So we serve breakfast Monday through Friday from 6.30 a.m. until 10.30 a.m. Mm-hmm. We serve lunch Monday through Friday from 11 to 2. 
Um, and then we do happy hour seven days a week from 2 to 5.30. And that's in our market area, in our bar area. We do awesome happy hour specials, $5 glasses of wine. And it's it's good wine, trust me. Uh-huh. Uh, specials on draft beers, specials on like bartender's choice cocktails. Um, and he has an awesome happy hour like finger food menu. But it's really cool. It's like the, the duck taco and duck poutine. And it's it's good stuff. And that's seven days a week, you said? Seven days a week. We do happy hour, 2 to 5.30. Uh Um, On Saturdays and Sundays, we serve brunch um, from 7 a.m. until 2. And seven days a week, we serve dinner starting at 5.30. So lots of different meal periods, lots of different like menu periods, but we've got a nice flow. We've got a nice flow. Okay. So you said that you serve breakfast from 6.30 to 10.30. Yep. And lunch from 11 to 2. two. What happens from 1030 to 11? <laughs> we kind of just like regroup. We shift change. Okay. Like we like roll silverware, talk about, you know, lunch, any incoming reservations, any parties we should know about, any big groups we should know about. Does the restaurant close for that half an hour? Kind of? Kind of. But like if you come in, we're not going to not seat you. We'll just be like, yo, we're about to be on lunch. Can you just like have a drink and like hang out for a second and most okay. people are totally cool with that like if they walk in at 10 45 we're like yo we will start serving lunch in like 15 minutes can I grab you a drink and nine times out of ten everyone's cool with that so and do you guys handle the room service for the hotel we do mm-hmm. yep wow yeah oh we're a beast man we're a wow. beast and so room service goes like what what are the hours on that is that 24 7 no so we do room service for our breakfast period and for our dinner period but not for lunch not in the middle of the day Okay. So you can get breakfast room service and you can get the dinner menu room service seven days a week. Is your kitchen enormous? Um, pretty big. It's pretty big. I mean, yeah. it's not the most gigantic kitchen that I've ever seen, but, you know, it's definitely it's definitely long. We'll put it that way. So do you have separate lines for like room service versus no. the dining room? No, we have, uh, we have the one main line where, you know, all different meal periods are executed. Um, and then we have over on the one end of the kitchen, we have a couple different ranges and ovens and things for preparation. Um, banquets does a lot of their preparation on that side. And then actually preparation execution and they, you know, roll everything down and furiously plate up for 250 people. Yeah. We also have 8,000 square feet of banquet space. So really? Yeah. So we do weddings, bar mitzvahs, retirements, company parties, all, all that good stuff too. Wow. Yeah, all out of the same kitchen. All out of the same kitchen. It's so much fun. I have no idea. (laughs) Yeah. So where can people learn more about Toasted Oak? Toastedoak.com. Toasted Oak. Instagram. Instagram. Facebook. Facebook. We're we're a bunch of social media nerds. Yeah, we like the social media. That's all at Toasted Oak on Instagram? Yeah, at at Toasted Toasted Oak. Oak. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Awesome. And then you guys uh, obviously take reservations? Yep. Yep. Okay, and that is through your website as well? You can call the restaurant and make them directly, or we also utilize uh, Open Table, so you can book online via Open Table as well. Awesome. Yep. yep. Well, Ken, Jackie, thank you so much for being with me tonight. Yeah. It's been wonderful. Awesome. Wonderful. Thanks, Thanks for, for having, having us, us, man. Until next time, dine well, friend.